Hi, I'm Amira Khalid, and I'm the creator and host of Inspiring UA Women, the one and only podcast focused on female leaders in the United Arab Emirates. In my show, I will be interviewing and shining the spotlight on a diverse group of female leaders in the UAE and hopefully inspire women in the region with their success stories. so much everyone for tuning in i hope you enjoy listening to my podcast and if you do please subscribe and leave your comments and ratings on itunes you can follow the show on social media and also get in touch with me on linkedin at amira khalid acca or by email details will be in the episode description my guest today is helen chen who is the ceo and co-founder of nomad homes Nomad is a managed marketplace for users to search, transact, and finance residential real estate under one roof across Europe and the Middle East. Prior to founding Nomad, Helen was an investor and worked at Goldman Sachs, China Investment Corporation, and Blackstone Private Equity. While pursuing her MBA at Stanford, the heart of Silicon Valley, Helen developed a passion for prop tech and against all odds. Helen left her MBA to start Nomad. A strong believer in supporting women both in tech and in the boardroom, Helen is a champion for hiring female talent at Nomad and encouraging a balanced workforce. Helen was also selected to Forbes 30 Under 30 Finance. Thank you so much for being on my show, Helen. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Helen, my first question to you is, tell us the backstory about your journey as a young entrepreneur. Where and when did it all begin? For sure. Thanks, Amira, for having me on. The founding of Nomad Homes and my entrepreneurial journey actually started when I was a kid. My background is in investing. I was a former investor at Blackstone uh, with the Chinese Sovereign Wealth Fund. And at which point, after being an investor for you know multiple years, I decided I did not want to be an investor for life anymore and decided it was a good time for me to go to business school. Fortunate enough to get into Stanford. And when I stepped foot on campus, I was always thinking about what do I love? And what I loved actually started when I was a kid, and that was real estate. My parents had rental properties and my job over the summers was to turn them. So like painting and fixing and and I loved it. So when I got to Stanford, I started talking to all of the prop tech companies, so property technology, uh, first in the US, then around the world. And what I was finding is that buying your home is incredibly difficult. It is the most important personal and financial decision that you'll make in your life, but the customer is left alone in this journey. And I was digging in across Europe and the Middle East, uh, which is the third largest residential real estate market in the world. And I thought it was messed up that the customer was left alone in this journey. And basically I decided if no one is going to help them, then I'm going to do it myself. So I dropped out of Stanford after my first year, convinced my co-founders, Dan and Damien, to join me and leave their jobs at Adapar and Uber. Um, and that's actually how Nomad got started about two years ago now. Helen, that provides me with the perfect segue into my next question. How did you establish Nomad Homes? Was there an aha moment? There was an aha moment because when I was doing research and I was, you know, traveling around the world and talking to all the customers, everybody was saying like, you know, I want to buy a home. It's a great investment. You know, it's how people make money, but I don't know where to begin. I hate the process. It's so painful. I don't know how to do, you know, the financing. I can't find my home. There's fake listings. And that's when it kind of clicked in my head where I said, you know, 
If this is going to be the largest investment of your life and where you spend your time with your family, as a customer, you deserve better. That's not how it's supposed to be. And at that point, I actually decided that point where I said, okay, if no one is going to help you, then I'm going to help you. And so that's kind of the moment when I was at Stanford doing my MBA, where I said, this is what I love. This is what I'm passionate about. And the customers who I've spoken with deserve better. So that was really like when I decided, okay, let's start Nomad. Helen, clearly people believe in your vision and want to be a part of Nomad's growth journey. I say this because in addition to angel investments in the past, Nomad has also secured $20 million in a Series A funding round, which was co-led by Owen Advisors, an investment fund co-founded by former Twitter executives Dick Costolo and Adam Bain, as well as the Spruce House Partnership, which is a New York-based investment partnership. What was the process like, and do you have any plans you can share? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm grateful for our investors, you know, the ones that you mentioned, as well as our other angel investors who were the former CEOs of Zillow and Open Door, you know, leading prop tech companies in the U.S. And I would say it's a couple things. Um, so one is sharing your vision um, of the company with the investors. It's really important that you find the right fit with your investors and they believe in what you do. And the second piece is I'm really grateful for the team um, that I've been able to surround myself with at Nomad Homes because they are the ones who are helping us execute, helping the customers through their journey, building the product, building our tech. You know, it's definitely a team effort. I know oftentimes CEOs get the get the glory and the limelight, but it is in fact a team effort in order to achieve this type of interest and investment from leading investors around the world. And I would say it's also a really great uh, piece for the Dubai and the and the UAE and the MENA ecosystem because we did start in Dubai. And I think it's great that you know international capital is attracted to the region. Helen, being based in Dubai, have there been any unique opportunities with starting up in the Middle East real estate space? You know, what's interesting, Amira, is that when I speak to our customers across all of our markets, we're live in Lisbon, Paris, Dubai, soon to be Spain, customers are quite similar. You know, the, the markets are really different if you look at it on the outside, but what a buyer wants is generally the same. They want service. They want to find their home and they want to find a way to pay for it at the best price. So if you think about the consumer behavior of what someone is looking for, uh, we're actually very fortunate that people are very similar. And so although we started in Dubai, we've expanded to four countries already in, in just two short years, you know, part of our ability to expand is not only, you know, our team has the capabilities of doing it, but because consumer behavior is actually quite similar. Um, and, and so I think that is something that's really interesting, especially in the real estate space. Helen, how has the Dubai real estate market evolved since the hit of the pandemic? couple things that happened during the pandemic is people actually moved even more online, which is great for a tech startup like ourselves. It's great for Nomad Homes because people became more accustomed to doing more things from their phone, from their laptop and not doing as much in person. Um, so that's a really big blessing for tech companies like ourselves. Um, but then what's interesting, at least specifically to the Dubai real estate market, is that real estate really came back with a with a roar. Since 2021, so prices rose 
30% per square foot. Um, over 150 billion dirhams of property was sold in 2021, and it was a 75% increase in volumes year over year. Um, that is a testament to what the government has done uh, within, you know, the region to stabilize and to support the economy. But, you know, we're actually seeing this trend around the world where residential real estate has really held strong through the pandemic. And it makes sense, right? You know, Amira, you and I, you know, sometimes have the luxury of working at home. And that has been pervasive of, you know, working at home culture. So your home now is not only where you spend time with your family, where you sleep and you rest, but it's also where you work now, uh, which is why we see a lot of people um, who have the means to trade into larger spaces, um, because now they need more space to not only live, but also to work. Um, so that is a universal trend that we're seeing. Helen, what are future trends that you anticipate seeing in the real estate market within the region? Uh, great question. So we haven't seen the pace slow down at all. And I think, you know, for us, we're always looking at the fundamentals. So supply and demand, um, as well as vacancy or occupancy. So are people living in the places that they buy? Like, it's not just empty people, there are people living in it. And what we've seen is that, you know, occupancy is, is very, very high. So vacancy is low, which means that people are actually in the units. Um, it's not speculative. Uh, people are actually there. So with those types of fundamentals, we're supportive of people who want to make an investment. Of course, you know, I can't tell you prices are going to increase 15% this year. Uh, if I could, I'd be in a different business. But I think at least for now, investors as well as end users are really taking advantage um, and, and making their investments or, or purchasing for themselves. Helen, my objective with this podcast is to provide people with real role models to look up to. So my question is, do you have any role models that you look up to? Yes, I do. So I'm very fortunate to have uh, powerful and strong women um, who I've had the chance to meet and to work with over my career. I would say three people come to mind for me. First is my mom. Uh, my mom taught me hard work and perseverance, so I cannot thank her enough for that. Um, she's always been a constant cheerleader for me. Um, second person was actually uh, one of my colleagues who I used to work with, uh, Adriana. Um, she is a really powerful woman who is an investor. Um, she has always been supportive of women in investing, which similar to tech, is, there's just not that many women in investing. Um, and I think having role models like her um, are, are really incredible because you can see that, you know, you can do it. Um, women can do what they set their minds out to and seeing someone and working with someone who's done it has been incredibly powerful. Um, and I think the other person I look up to is um, Stacy, who was the former CEO of TaskRabbit. You know, she's achieved an incredible amount in her career and she's still working on it now um, with SoftBank. And, you know, I think part of having mentors is the ability to speak with them, to look up to them. But the other side of that is, you know, mentorship is a gift. Uh, it's a gift that continues to be passed on. So they mentored me and now I'm mentoring the next generation of female leaders. Helen, my last question is, what advice do you have for young, especially female entrepreneurs who have started or are planning on starting their entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I would say... First of all, believe in yourself. Um, that is the most important piece. When you're starting your entrepreneurial journey, it is 
rocky. There's ups and there's downs and you're constantly fighting uphill. But if you believe in yourself and you believe in what you're doing, you should do it and go for it. That's the first piece of advice. And the second piece is really, I would recommend you to surround yourself with a support system um, that is always there for you that you can go to no matter what. Because when you have the celebratory moments and the victories, you want to celebrate it with them. When you need help and you need someone to talk to because things aren't going your way, they'll also be there. Um, so I rely on my husband a lot. Um, I'm very grateful to have him as a cheerleader um, and, and as well as my co-founders. So I think those are the two pieces of advice that I would really give to the next generation. Thank you so much for this wonderful interview, Helen. It was a pleasure having you on my show. Thank you, Amira. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Inspiring UA Women podcast. At the risk of sounding like a broken record at this point, extensive research conducted across various sectors has clearly demonstrated that diverse teams perform better and generate more innovation and a higher return on investment. The tech industry is no exception. Deloitte's 2021 Women at Work study, which polled 500 women in the global technology, media, and telecommunications workforce, discovered a few important facts in a post-pandemic world. 83% of the women surveyed reported that their workload had increased. Over half of racially and ethnically diverse women, 52% to be precise, rate their work-life balance as poor or extremely poor. 59% feel less optimistic about their career prospects today than before the pandemic. Startups are known for unconventional work environments, but women still struggle there as well, especially if they're the founder. In the US, women create only 3% of tech startups and within Silicon Valley, women earn only 49 cents to a man's dollar. Women also receive less than 10% of venture capital funding, with 96% of venture capitalists being men. According to a study from the Silicon Valley Bank, which was conducted with startup executives and innovation hubs primarily in the US, UK, Canada, and China, only one in four startups have a female founder. 37% have at least one woman on the board of directors, and 53% have at least one woman in an executive position. The studies also found that the founder's gender has a direct impact on gender diversity. For startups with at least one female founder, 50% had a female CEO compared to just 5% for companies with no female founder. Worse, startups with at least one female founder reported more difficulty finding funding, with 87% saying it was somewhat or extremely challenging, while only 78% of startups with no female founder said the same. Though we're still talking specifically about women's impact in tech, the equity gaps that exist are not solely the responsibility of women to solve. Everyone has a stake in this effort and it takes all of us to continue to make progress. With that, I hope you all enjoy listening to Helen's interview and I'll see you in the next episode.